Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution. Today, delighted to be your podcast host for the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Fuse. Fuse is the insurance marketing software that helps you skyrocket retention, boost your policy per customer count, and make your clients love your agency. Without you having to hire more staff, programmers, technologists, if you haven't done it lately, do yourself a favor. Visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo of their award-winning software today. And I am delighted to welcome you to this conversation with Michael Mensch. Michael is the president at Agency Brokerage Consultants. Michael has assisted in over 200 M&A transactions, over 1,000 valuations of insurance agencies and brokerages in the United States for privately held businesses and lenders, including Live Oak Bank, Westfield Bank, Crestmark Bank, ReadyCap Lending, Oak Street Funding. Michael is a member of the IBBA and M&A Source. He's a Certified Business Intermediary, a Certified Merger and Acquisition Master Intermediary, um, and holds a real estate license and PNC insurance license in Florida. Michael graduated cum laude with a Master's of Science degree from Virginia Tech. He won the Chairman's Circle Award from IBBA in 2016 and 2018. He was voted to the NACVA's 40 under 40 list of emerging leaders in financial consulting and business valuation in 2017. I don't think I need to explain why this is an important conversation. Valuations are, of course, sky high. Private equity firms are flooding the market and hungry for acquisitions. And it's a very, very fast changing world. In this conversation, uh, Michael talks about the sweeping changes that are changing the acquisition landscape for agencies, things that every agency principal really needs to pay attention to, possible changes in tax laws that agents must keep their eyes on today, and, um, and near and dear to my heart, practical steps that agency principals can take today to increase the ultimate valuation of their agency. So, um, very quick housekeeping. If you haven't done it, do me a favor, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow Agency Revolution on LinkedIn. Um, if, of course, this podcast and these conversations have been of value to you, you know, I'd be super duper grateful if you gave us a five-star review. And if there's anything I could do to improve the podcast, please let me know. Reach out to me at Michael at MichaelJans.com. And um, let's see. Once again, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We are now approaching 225,000 
listens to this podcast series. So no doubt we'll have the biggest insurance party in the world when we reach quarter of a million, not too far away, and you'll be invited. And uh, once again, want to say thank you. I'm still getting lots of inquiries about uh, my upcoming course, Marketing in the Modern Age of Insurance. If you're interested in learning about it, join me for a live uh, conversation, a Zoom call with me. Uh, you can register at www.michaeljanslive.com. So lots going on. And uh, this, I think you'll agree, is a very important and practical conversation. So without further ado, it is a privilege to introduce you to my friend, Michael Mensch. Michael Mensch, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, okay. Well, um, I'm excited about this conversation. It's not the first conversation we've had on record. Uh, last time we talked, it seems to me that it was over a year. So it was definitely pre-COVID. And I think when we spoke then, the kind of the uh, really interesting things that were happening were um, acquisitions were kind of at an all-time high uh, and valuations were at an all-time high. Private equity was... Um, a, a serious and dominant player in the acquisition market in this industry. And gosh and gollies, uh, I don't think things have changed all that much, <laughs> at least in that regard, right? So so yeah. those elements are still true? Yes, yeah. So it was, the last time you and I spoke was weeks before the whole country went into lockdown. Right. And so we were oblivious to what was about to come, come through <laughs> the pipeline uh, so a lot has changed. A lot has happened since our last conversation, probably a little bit over 12 months ago. Uh, okay. Okay. Some things are the same and some things are very different. And the past year has probably um, been a, a, a bit of a wild ride in the acquisition market. So, uh, so for those who don't know you as well as I do, Michael, if you would tell, uh, tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am an merchant acquisition advisor the president of Agency Brokerage Consultants, which we're a firm that specializes in helping agents value and sell their agencies. Uh, I've been involved in nearly 200 transactions, assisted with somewhere around 1,000 valuations of independent agencies around the country. And last year, we were pretty, you know, we'll get into that, the environment, but we uh, ended the year with about 27 transactions completed. And nearly 200 valuations, so it was a very active year for us. An active year, okay. In in a year where um, you know, obviously, well, to some extent, we just didn't know what it was going to be like. Right. Okay. So, uh, so you, congratulations, you've had an active year. So let's take a look at the big picture first. What are the big trends and forces that are shaping, you know, mergers and acquisitions in the industry right now? Yeah. So again, it was it was funny because we spoke literally weeks before everything went into lockdown, and you and I were saying, "Oh, the market's so hot, nothing's nothing's coming down." The <laughs> make this any different? But so you know, once once the pandemic hit and we went into lockdowns and everything, so I actually called around a lot of the private equity buyers to talk to them and just get a gauge for how they were going to respond to the current environment. And so all of them said, "Well, you know." We don't know how this is going to play out in the economy. We really, we're probably going to have to do less, you know, less money down, more of an earn out. You know, we're going to shift these deals from more, less cash up front, more earn out. And so I said, okay. And 
over the course of the next couple of months, that never happened. So the surprise, uh -huh. nobody really tightened up. I mean, the, you know, by the end of the year, the multiples had gone up and the terms had not gotten any more conservative as a result of the country being in the middle of a pandemic. The reason being there's just simply too much money chasing too few of transaction opportunities. So although they probably wanted to get conservative because they still, you know, because who knows what the fallout was going to be at that point, they had to spend the money. And so therefore they had to be competitive on the acquisition opportunities. Um, okay. So uh, let's spend a moment on that question. So I realize uh, this is this is not something that maybe an agency needs to think about when they wake up on a Tuesday morning to run their agency. But you had said there's so much money available, um, and clearly it has to go somewhere, and it's looking for a return. What what's going on there that there's so much cash available? There's, uh, there's a, some macro trend here that's even bigger than the insurance industry, I presume. All right. So roll back to let's say 2008, the financial crisis. And there were a handful of private equity backed insurance brokers in the marketplace. Since then, I mean, the private equity industry has even just matured a lot. So now we're looking at there's probably 40 private equity backed groups in the insurance industry space, you know, not just on the brokerage side, but now you've got on the technology side and also, you know, and, uh, but the thing that's really, it's, it's a trend that happened in the private equity world where, now there's a lot more secondary, tertiary market deals where private equity groups sell to private equity groups. So that's, that, you know, over the last 10 years, that's something that has really evolved too. So where it was one private equity group would get in and eventually go public or, you know, do something to exit. Now they're selling deal, they're selling one firm to another private equity group. So that that's really been something that happened over the last 15 years that didn't exist pre maybe 2005. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, well, all right. So it's a that's a trend, industry. right? Yeah. There, there's a lot of money flowing into the market um, because of the returns, you know? So one of the things is all these retirement funds and everything are trying to get returns to, to meet the requirements of all these people that are retiring over time. So uh -huh. you know, okay. trying to get to the returns and, Private equity saw, or they saw that private equity and hedge funds were an option to try and drive higher returns to these pension funds. So that's part of it. You know, it's just there's a lot of money that's flown into the U.S. economy, come into the U.S. economy over the last decade, and that's caused the private equity world to just mature a lot over the last decade. So that's it. Um, as an aside, uh, Michael, it seems like there's a, a lot of uh, venture capital money as well, and I know that they, you know, that they're they're, they they don't tend to be doing what private equity does in purchasing insurance agencies, but they are um, active investors and robust investors in insure technology and insure tech. Yeah, that's, and, you and so, know that better than me, but that that's yeah, I've seen a lot of that in the last seven years, right? Well, it's it seems right. to be at least representative of a macro trend, right? Because uh, I'm seeing some valuations on the on the VC side and in, in technology that are mind blowing. And and of course, you know, but so the so so yeah, they're so they're uh, you know higher risk, and they're uh, they're betting on um, some probability. They're betting on a future outcome, which is difficult to predict. Um, 
an insurance agency's performance is uh, much, much easier to predict. Right. But I have to ask you, at, at some point, as private equity firms are competing against one, one, uh, against one, each, uh, one another, uh, at what point uh, does um, the you know do, does it overheat and the um, the investment doesn't make sense in in terms of the return? Uh, I mean, there is we're at a point now where it's at capacity, right? There's there's more more players than there are opportunities for them. So yeah. I I don't know, you know, what kind of multiple is the ceiling. You know, we're past what I thought was re- reasonable expectations. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know. so we're in a little bit of an Alice in Wonderland, uh, you know, kind of arena. Yeah. Where... We're sitting at like, you know, the interest rates dropped almost zero last year. So that that's indirectly mm-hmm. valuation. So that, that pushed things up. But once interest rates start to go back up, that's going to have the opposite effect because the cost of capital goes up. You know, yeah. valuations go down. So okay, okay. So so there are probably some other things that we need to um, be vigilant about, or that we need to be aware of. Uh, so I'll ask you what what are the other trends and forces that you think are uh, either now or potentially could change the acquisition market and um, I guess implicit in that is change valuations. Aside from what we just talked about on the interest. Yeah. Aside from that. Uh, You know, the big conversation right now is on the potential for tax rate changes. Uh Uh-huh. So under president Biden's plan that he had when he was running for election, he talked about raising capital gains rate on gains over a million dollars and basically treating it as ordinary income. Well, the effect of that is you go from a 20 to, let's say, 23% tax rate to a 42% tax rate. If you're at the highest, you know, if you're talking about a gain over a million dollars, it kicks you into the highest income bracket. So, you know, on the one hand, that impacts sellers, but you also have to think about the private equity buyers are eventually doing a recapitalization where they're cashing out. And they're taking a you know long-term capital gain. Ah, they're going to get hit right. with that tax as well. Okay, so um, I don't know if you if uh, I'm going to look ask you to look into a crystal ball, and you may not be able to see an answer on this one. Um, so the Biden administration is like you know a month plus old, and it has a lot of issues to deal with. Um, you know, a major public health crisis, and that's just the beginning. Um, but this, what, uh, do you have any sense of what the likelihood, uh, that this will happen? I mean, because, you know, he, he may have a short window with which, yeah. right. know, within which he can make these things happen. Right. Any, any new administration that's got this much on their side to doing things fast. So like, you know, you saw they already shut down the Keystone pipeline and, and other things happening quickly. So, I mean, uh, who's a Janet Yellen? Is that, uh-huh. So the other day or last week, I think she said it'd probably be later in the year before they work on a tax bill so that she's kind of at least pushing it past summertime. Okay. So boom. I, 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 <laughs> I so I have a client who, uh, who uh, owned an MGA and, and he sold it um, sooner than he had anticipated that he would. 
because uh, he's, you know, young enough to have a, a, you know, nice runway in front of him, but he sold it because he was concerned about this very issue. So he, he wanted to sell it in before December 31st. I, what, what do you say about that? Do you think that's... Yeah, we, I mean, that was... So the second half of our year last year, it just, our business exploded. I mean, a lot of people wanted, because they saw the writing on the wall that we're going to have a change in president. You know, we're going to have change in administration. Mm-hmm. Tax laws probably have changed there's going to be different fallout from that. So yeah, there was a lot of activity at the end of last year, folks trying to get transactions done in 2020, just in case the tax law changed effective for 2021. But, you know, most of the, I, I've got a close friend and co- colleague that we work with who's a CPA and a, an attorney. And he's saying that it's, it's really unlikely that it's going to happen this year. Even if they pass something this year, it's going to be effective for next year because there's so many other things they have to change in the tax code and all that to, to, to implement it in the same year that it passes. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, um, what else, when you look at 2021, um, what do you think the, you know, in your part of the industry, what do you think it's going to look like? Uh, it all, it, it all hinges on whether or not this tax tax law goes through. (laughs) If, uh, if our clients are looking down the barrel of twice the tax rate, you know, in 2021, I think we'll be busy this year. And then uh, I'll take some vacation time next year. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. And that's the uh, biggest wh- factor. That's really, I, I so mean, that's the are, big factor. I mean, we are okay. really busy right now. Like I've got three valuations that I'm going to go through with clients between today and tomorrow. And these are firms with, you know, two, three million of revenue. That's just in, you know, within two days, I'm going to be going through. So we've got a lot of folks that are coming and asking questions about what do we think is going to happen? You know, looking at is now the right time. So. All right. Um, Well, then let's uh, let's let's bring this conversation down to down to the weeds where. um, Where agencies and in the real world where agents live. Um, whether somebody is, um, thinking of, um, their perpetuation this year or five or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, uh, that paycheck is obviously something that people need to take seriously. Um, you know, when they, that, that, the deal they make when they sell their agency and everybody wants to, you know, if they're going to work hard. They want to get the best valuation they can possibly get. So this reminds me of a story that you told me the last time we talked. And I I think it was uh, in the podcast, but I know know that you told me this, well, it was last year. Um, I had asked you that question, like, what what does an agency need to do to uh, increase their valuation? And you said, well, there's one thing is, uh, you know, have have a really good, positive revenue per employee. And you said, for example, we've got an agency with three hundred thousand dollars revenue per employee, and they're you know they're getting a killer deal, right? Um, and so I thought, oh well, boom, uh, you know, I, I I had that always that totally makes sense to me, but I'm really glad to hear it from an M and A specialist uh, because now I'm going to make sure that when in my work with clients on organic growth, that's going to be a critical element. So, you know, I think everybody wants to know, what do I need to do to increase my valuation? So I'll pass it on to you. Yeah. So number one is grow, grow the revenue, obviously, you know, 
that's well, all solve a lot of problems. You can always you can fix your expense margin over time, but if you're growing, that's the you know number one thing that you can do to increase value. Okay, so uh, actually have a I have a got to circle in on that one. I have a follow up question. Um, so on the surface, somebody might be thinking, um, I, I want to grow so that you know I'll have more revenue and probably my EBITDA will be higher, but. Um, <clears throat> Wouldn't uh, wouldn't a uh, an acquirer also want to see, like, if let's say they're comparing two agencies, you know, agency A and agency B, and agency A grows at five percent per year, and agency B grows at fifteen percent per year. Well, gosh, uh, that that agency that has a consistent track record of growth has something that the other one doesn't. So, uh, uh, isn't that track record of growth um, a evaluation? data point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I kind of knew that, and I think you probably have shared that with me. Um, but uh, I, I think agents need to hear that. It's like, um, yeah, like what, what you do now, what an agency does now from today until, you know, the point that they sell, um, that that's going to matter. Right. And so yeah. they, they want to, yeah, you, you want to design an agency that's got, uh, systems in place that cause growth because people want to buy that and they'll, they'll put a premium on that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get a premium valuation, but you're also, you know, as you grow, you're increasing your equity. So we've, we had, uh, two clients last year, but one in particular that we'd worked with for a number of years, he finally sold his business last year. He tripled the value in like four years, five years through because he was growing. He was growing very rapidly. And, you know, we value we were doing valuation for him like every year or every other year, just kind of tracking along with him, you know, waiting, you know, giving him some guidance on what he could do to it. But he the biggest factor was he was growing his revenue. We we couldn't really impact that. We could just say, you know, your revenue per employee is not in line or, you know, make some tweaks here and there. But he, he grew his revenue significantly. And so, you know, from 2014 to last year, he tripled the value of his agency. And uh -huh. yeah. Okay. Got it. And now, uh, okay. Point, point well made. So I have a, I have a, I've got a question for you and I'll call, I'll call upon my experience. This is some years back when I was the CEO of agency revolution. And uh, from time to time, uh, a sales rep would come back and like report a story. It's like, you know, our, this pro our, our solution is so perfect for this agency, but they don't want to buy it because they, they don't want to decrease their EBITDA. And sometimes it would be they, they may have been owned by a private equity firm or sometimes they're just thinking that, gosh, um, I need to, you know, when, when, when you know, I'm close enough to the acquisition I need to make sure that my EBIT is as big as possible. So I'm not going to spend anything, even if it has, um, you know, some immediate and long-term positive impact on growth. What do you say to agents about that? I mean, huh. and, and I mean, you know, in order, in order to grow, you've got to make some strategic decisions about the tools you use and, you know, the marketing that you'll be engaged in. It, you know, it doesn't come free. It's yeah. an investment with a really high return. What do you say? Uh, number one, try to negotiate a multiple uh, on a revenue-based earnout <laughs> instead of EBITDA. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we work with private equity groups. I, I've 
good relationships with a lot of those folks. They are, you know, they're trying to figure out organic growth. I mean, there are growth strategies acquisition-based. But if you go look at, so I sat in a meeting with the president and CEO of one of the biggest firms, and he, he basically said their organic growth was negative. Yeah. <laughs> and and one of the largest firms in the country, and they know that, and they're trying to figure these things out. So okay, okay, that needs will... to make the case to them that you need to invest in. You know, like you've got to do the right investments to to allow it, but that's going to reduce your EBITDA margin, but they're going to make up for it in, in growth. Well, it's, it's fascinating that you tell me that because, again, you're confirming what kind of intuitively and anecdotally th- that I, I thought was true. Um, one of my one of my concerns for a lot of my clients is if, you know, if, if they're not purchased, then they're going to be dealing with bigger competitors who have, you know, access to resources. And so, you know, for years we've been able to observe the private equity market and their their presence in the marketplace. And in spite of how big they are and how much market share, relatively speaking, they control, um, it just seems like they haven't delivered, you know, like lots of value added uh, capacity and capability to agencies that's making them, well, you know, like you said, their, their organic growth is zero or negative in some cases. Yeah. Um, so, so I yeah, mean, I, I, what, what's going on there? Yeah. I mean, they do, they do an excellent job at acquisition, absolutely integration, bringing people on board. They, they're trying to figure out organic growth, but really they're hoping that the, the agencies they acquire will have something going for them that they don't have to worry about that, that agency going backwards after they acquire it. But, okay. But, and it's not really, and I don't want to beat up on the private equity. I mean, this, anybody that's focuses on acquisitions, cause we've got clients that are not private equity back that do a lot of acquisitions and they struggle with organic growth too, because they're, they're focused so much on, acquiring and integrating the agency and getting, you know, getting it all organized, getting all the data integrated that they, they really lacking in organic growth. I had a conversation with one guy the other day who they've done 20 something acquisitions and lost a lot. I'll just say a lot of revenue after post acquisition, a lot of revenue. Ouch. And yeah. I actually suggested that he call you. So just oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, like they lost like 20% of the revenue they acquired. Uh, uh, well, that's, 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 uh, that's, that's remarkably painful. What, uh, I mean, I don't want you to name names or, you know, give anything no. away there, but what, what's going on? Um, that's not uncommon. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. If a book has great retention and everything, but a lot of them, people do acquisitions, then they close an office, merge it into another. And, and if they actually look back over the course of a couple of years, they're going to see that they lost 10 to 20% of the revenue. And, and to mask that, the active acquirers just keep acquiring. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Got it. Um, all right, Michael, boom. Anything else? Any other sort of big trends that agents should be aware of in the acquisition world? Uh. No, I mean, every year we're seeing different large, different groups gain private equity backing. Like I just found out one one agency that we know is in discussions to gain, pick up a private equity partner. Today, I just learned about a um, 
company, you know, there's a lot of it happening outside the insurance broker space. We talked about technology, but even like the service providers to the insurance world, there's some acquisition roll-ups happening with private equity backing too. That that uh, it's oh really? Oh, so, so so some of the some of the vendors to the industry are uh... yeah, like the you know program managers and you know. Uh-huh. Not a lot of the outside service support for the insurance brokerage industry. There's roll-ups happening in that world too. Um, I am aware of um, a private equity uh, firm, backed firm, that purchased a um, oh training and educational company that's you know yeah. been focused on organic growth. I think you and I may have spoken about that in the last couple of weeks. Um, a little bit unusual again, I don't want to name names here, but struck me as a little bit unusual. Uh, but I thought, you know, right on, um, you know, it, it seems like, as you said, they're trying to figure out organic growth. And one of the ways that they're doing it is, is they're going to buy it and they're going to buy some expertise. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. That's a good reference. Cause I think that might be what they were trying to do. So, okay. Well, maybe we'll see more of that in the future. All right. Um, so uh, Michael, I have uh, I have pretty much one last question for you. Um, you've you've got a unique um, position in the industry. Uh, you get to see things that a lot of us don't see uh, on a day to day basis. If you had the opportunity to kind of uh, jump on my soapbox and deliver a, a, a non commercial message to the industry, like pay attention to this, what is it that you'd want to say? I think one of the most surprising things we see is the the variance and profitability of different agencies. The, you know, some agencies like I've got ones that we're looking at now that are netting sixty percent of the revenue, which is very high. Oh then, my goodness! Yeah, okay. Across those that are near break even, even when you try and dig in and you know make the typical adjustments of the owners writing off their cars and everything. There's just it's surprising that in an industry that is so well developed and so much information out there on how, the financial models and how much revenue per employee and everything you should be driving, that you'd see such a big variance in profitability of different insurance firms. And so I think that if there's one message that can help everybody add value is go out there and find the information to understand what the financial model should be and what your targets should be for different benchmarks. You know, that's, that's number step number one, when you're running a business. Uh, I, 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 I run into that as well, uh, where an agency principal just doesn't know what kind of their benchmark should be. And so, you know, when, you know, the CSRs say, gosh, we're so busy. Then the response is, well, I'll hire another one. Yeah. Right. That kind of thing. Right. We see that a lot. Right. And they, and, and they don't have an easy solution to that. OK. Um, so. All right. So pay pay attention. Run it like a business. Yeah. There is a financial model for the industry. There's data out there. You can go to different resources and find, you know, what you should be as a percentage of your revenue, where you should be on payroll and where you should be on rent and revenue you should have per CSR and everything. There's all that data is out there. So every agency owner should be aware of what the financial model should be, where they should be targeting. Got it. All right. I have one last question for you. I'm sneaking this one in just because it occurred to me late and I kind of know what your, I think I know what your answer is. Uh, um, From a marketer's point of view, I have to ask this uh, niching as a, um, in terms of the, uh, how uh, niche marketing, can affect valuation. 
Um, good, I, good. Yeah, I'm a yeah. huge, I'm a huge fan of niche marketing myself. I mean, <laughs> but from the agency valuation perspective, and we talked about this a little bit, of, uh, uh, you know, niching or having a specialty tends to you'll have higher retention typically because you have a stronger value proposition. So higher retention, uh, you may become more efficient. So higher profitability. I mean, we've seen niche agencies that have 98% retention rate and a, you know, above average profitability. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. I think that you've got to, if you, if you how are you going to stand out from the noise unless you have an expertise in something? Boom. You hear, heard it here first uh, from Michael Mench himself. Okay. Uh, well, I'm thrilled to hear your answer. Um, well, I, I always like it. And I think generally it always does. I like it when, well, my advice, the organic growth guy uh, aligns with um, uh, uh, valuation, right? And so I, I like it when you and I uh, agree to the same things. Yeah. So we, we both okay. agree, grow your revenues, specialize. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and look, also run a business, right? Uh, yeah. Like, you know, run, run a real business, put systems in place that, you know, are, are efficient and um successful and uh you know obviously i mean we could talk about this but i think i think you've implied this um higher valuation comes also from that kind of shift from when somebody kind of shifts from being an insurance agent every single day monday through friday to being um uh an entrepreneur or an insurerpreneur like really building building the business building systems and focusing on uh well valuation value uh, and organic growth, right? Yeah, I should. I will send you a link to an article that I wrote about what kind of agency owner you are. You and uh, you're probably familiar with like Michael Gerber's. My, my, Michael, Michael was uh, one of my uh, uh, keynote speakers at one of my boot camps years ago. Yeah, and, yeah, and I I continue to recommend his book to like you know people that are addressing that very issue. Right, it's like I'm so busy. How do I do marketing? Um, you but know, and it's a, you know, there's different mindsets, right? So I'll send you that, but you know, basically okay. I, I talk, I just wrote this article about how there's four quadrants of, of agency owners. There's the, uh, the technician, basically, you know, Michael Gerber also that's, talked that's about Gerber's, uh, okay. And then I have, uh, basically the rainmaker, you know, the agency owner, who's the key producer, the biggest book of business. And, and, you know, they have support staff that basically there to make them more effective at sales. And they're the folks that are great at networking and great at closing a sale and, and everything. And then uh, what I call the... Can I, can I, I want to ask you to pause just for a moment. Uh, if an agency does present as a, um, as a rainmaker, the principal's the rainmaker, um, is that potentially a bit of a problem in valuation when they see that uh, so many key accounts are tied to the principal? Uh, it requires the principal to work through a transition period. Yeah, right. So okay. there's, there's going to be an earn out. And the other thing too is, you know, when we do valuations, we ask the owner what they do. So we understand what their market comp really should be because the owner may be the key producer driving a million of revenue, but paying himself 50,000 on a W2. Well, they really should be compensated as a producer based on what they're doing. Right. Got so, it. Okay. Got it. All right. So technician, yeah. rainmaker. Yeah. And then uh, 
like a serial entrepreneur, like you're talking about somebody that's focused on processes and, you know, implementing processes and scaling a business. And then the last one I had was uh, the empire builder, the ones that in it for the long haul, building a 20, 30, 40 million revenue operation, never looking to exit. Great, great. the personality of that person is great at bringing out the best in others and, and looking, you know, they look at big picture items, hire the right management team and everything. But, but, uh, so those are the four that I came up with. Uh, what's the distinction between the serial entrepreneur and the empire builder? Uh, there's usually a ceiling on where they get. So the oh. ser- number one, there's a ceiling because they're not great at hiring the management team. The, the, they're the, it's a flat organization. Typically they're the, they're the chief. Everybody else is below them. They hit a ceiling and number two is they're often get bored if once they hit the ceiling, they get bored and they want to exit and they go do something else, build another business. I've had got it. Got it. Very good. <laughs> and, and so um, technician, rainmaker, serial, serial entrepreneur and empire builder and, and presumably valuations get higher as you work your way right. through that quadrant. Yeah, right. Right. All right. Yep. Very good. Uh, Michael, if our listeners want to uh, reach out to you, uh, find out more about what you do, um, learn more. How should they do that? Uh, well, our website, agencybrokerage.net. That's easy enough to find, agencybrokerage.net. They can uh, call me. Do you want me to give them my phone number? Sure, sure. Uh, 321-255-1309. It's also on our website. Or email me. First initial M, last name, Mensch, M-E-N-S-C-H, at agencybrokerage.com. Got it. And, uh, Michael, I'm, uh, I think you have a monthly newsletter. We yeah? do. Yeah. So uh, is that open to, like, if somebody says, yeah, I want to get uh, I want to yep. get Mensch's newsletter, how well, do they do that? We have a form on our website they can fill out where we send out. So our newsletter goes out to over 6,000 agents around the country and talks about uh, acquisition opportunities, talks about market values and different things we're writing about. This month, it featured uh, a very special guest feature, Michael Jans. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah. (laughs) What kind of contribution did he make to that newsletter? (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, any questions about current market conditions, market values, tax rates, uh, anything like that, feel free to reach out to me. Happy to talk to people. All right. And and on a, uh, on the serious side, I'm a subscriber to the newsletter, and I uh, seriously encourage uh, my listeners to do the same. All right. Well, Michael, uh, once again, been a pleasure. Uh, I know you're going to be busy this year, so um, take good care of yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Good, good right. catch up with you. Good to catch up with you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.